0: Good. Well, it's good to be with you all this morning. I know that I have met many of you and have had some wonderful conversations and also that I have not met every one of you. And so I want to extend a warm welcome to you on this first Sunday of Advent and to share in the good news and the proclamation of God's word together. Let us pray. Lord, you are the God who sees and accompanies us and our communities. Send your spirit. Meet with us this morning. Help us to see and know you. And for this time that we have together, Lord, I ask that you would reveal yourself through your holy word and that in our time, our hearts, minds, bodies, and spirits would be prepared for these next weeks of Advent prepared to celebrate and welcome you and your arrival as babe. In Christ's name, amen. So in these holiday seasons, we often jest about tradition. Perhaps there is deep resolve in your family over the proper way to cook a bird, the varieties of pies appropriate to have on the dessert table, or the week in which it is appropriate to pull out the Christmas tree. Certain as these familial commitments are the conflicts, uh, the friendly ones like football rivalries, the practical ones that pit a particular aunt's proclivities to sleep late against the hardened nap schedule of a toddler, ask me how I know, uh, and the heart deep ones the religion and politics discussions that are not fun to be a part of, and that may be because someone holds on to some idea that is just too off-putting for grandma, and it also might be that as a unit, the family hasn't worked out how to fight together in a healthy way. And then, of course, atop all these things, or perhaps better put within them, these traditions in conflict is the blatant consumerism of the holiday, Overpriced holiday decor is hauled out, and knickknacks tumble out of store shelves. I am genuinely curious if electronic massage contraptions are sold any other time of the year, or if they are only hauled out for those of us who don't know what gift to give that one person, and we kind of assume they probably have back pain, too. I'll confess, though, I think these holiday complaints are low-hanging fruit. If you want to knock on late-stage capitalism, go ahead, and certainly as a whole, we own too much stuff and too much of what we own is essentially disposable. And the traditions from pies to football are a bit silly, although they are fun. And, mixed in with all of these things, there is something so richly holy. These physical actions that we take with our tired and often unrested bodies The festivities we participate in, sometimes when we don't even really feel like it, softly remind our hearts and minds of the truths too large and too precious for us to perpetually hold them in front of us. Things like, God is with us. God came to us, and when Jesus left, he sent his spirit. In the physical actions we take during Advent for Christmas's preparation, we rehearse and remember We proclaim to ourselves and to those around us the reverent, sacred miracle that is Christ's birth. You see, in these annually repeated actions, consciously or not, we grip to an experience of the past and pull it into the present. If that wasn't the case, then tell me why the decision to hang the lights vertically on the tree this year instead of going around was a significant topic of discussion in my house. It's tradition, which are words that I can't even say without the booming papa voice from Fiddler on the Roof ringing in my head. Tradition yoked with sweet childhood memories and time spent with family. And like the messy box of string lights themselves, that tradition is tangled up in the story and hymns of Jesus' birth, and they help us remember. This morning's text, is an advent text though i will confess that it makes no mention of the coming babe there are no angels nor trips to bethlehem rather we are turning back to the old testament to the prophet isaiah who indeed does record marvelous passages foretelling the coming birth of jesus but we're not reading those this week either instead We're placing ourselves right in the middle of a lament in Isaiah 64, very near the end of Isaiah. The text originates with the Israelite community after a period of exile and the destruction of the temple. This Judean community is living under the rule of the Persian Empire. Earlier texts in the book of Isaiah burst with words of extravagant hope. After the aching loss and geographical movement from and then for this remnant back to Jerusalem, the community holds hope for the restoration of land and temple and king. But that is not where we are today. Not even close. Let's turn to the text. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived. No eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those gladly do right, but those those who remember you in your ways, but you were angry and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We fade like a leaf. be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. These words of lament are but an excerpt of a larger conversation that begins the chapter before and continues into the chapter after. First, God speaks and then in this communal voice we we hear, here in the scripture speaks, and then God speaks again. This petition is a kind of historical reminiscence. God, remember what you did? It was strong and it was mighty and we need it again. This sort of rhythm is interspersed throughout the text. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. This is a reference to Mount Sinai. God, Moses met with God on the mountain. The Israelites gathered at the foot of the mountain. The book of Exodus tells us that Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln while the whole mountain shook violently. This is where Moses spoke to God and God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence is a desperate invocation. God, you must come. You must come with your power as you did before. In verse 3, when you did awesome deeds that we did not expect is calling on this memory and also others held as treasured lore within the Israelite communities, repeated to educate the young, Remind the old and hold leaders to account. This kind of call happens because of a present need, an urgent need. In the context of the ancient peoples who originally held these sacred words, our post-exilic Judean community, this recalling of the past is a source of comfort that God is still there. God is still capable because it doesn't feel that way. Hope is sturdy, and it's not because the desperate people who hold on to it with all of their being are unwavering, patient, and full of confidence that everything will work out just fine. It's because hope's foundations have nothing to do with the present circumstances. More than the present circumstances, more than the future we long for, hope turns our head back to the past. It's based on who we know God is and what has already been accomplished. In this way, there is a very special relationship between hope and memory and the intentional recall of that memory. It's grounding. A few years back, I found myself in a rather precarious situation of needing to quickly quit a well-paying job. At that same time, I was in the world's most inexpensive apartment, of which I was a very happy resident, and it was being sold, and a romantic relationship abruptly ended. This left me very nearly homeless, awfully close to totally broke, alone, and without plans. Many imagined futures, both professionally and personally, were gone at the same time, and they really couldn't ever come back. I experienced those months as profoundly disorienting. I remember getting lost driving to my own home because I couldn't remember where to turn. I lacked all creativity and struggled to complete basic tasks. My two primary forms of comfort were, and this will reveal a little bit about the very particular kind of nerd that I am, but I was comforted by lectures in my systematic theology class, and I was comforted by the hours spent in silent prayer on my bed each night. I couldn't really move. I don't think I said much, and I don't think God said much but we sat there together. When it came to trying to make sense of things and finding a way forward, I struggled because, recall, the wind had been entirely knocked out of me and I was completely lacking in creativity. Things I once felt confident of no longer seemed true and I had no center of gravity. I don't really know how, but somewhere along the way, I reasoned that it would be grounding to repeat things that i did know were true and the first item on that list was that god loved other people i could see that and somehow from that it seemed to make sense to me that if god loved other people god probably loved me too even though it didn't feel that way I continued in this fashion to, I don't know, eight or nine other declarations, each derived from the statement above it, in the ever-so-gentle memory that seemed to reawaken in this practice. Once the list was complete, I held to it and included it in my prayers every night. I prayed them verbatim so many times in a row that I told God at one point I could no longer repeat them. Now, I'll be honest, my journey out of that awful place had a few more steps to it and more than one encounter that I would consider supernatural. And I will also say, all of it came back to those hours of quiet prayer and the ten truths I rehearsed, which were based on what I observed and remembered about who God was. Now, our ancient forebearers talking to God here in the book of Isaiah weren't going through a breakup, but their reconciliation, their recollection of the former acts of God functions similarly in the text. Isaiah 64 makes candid, bare petitions to God for help, and in that, they remember what God has already done. Their words proclaim, You were there before, You were there. You did great things. You were strong. And look where we are now. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. It doesn't matter what we do from where we are right now. How we act. We cannot remove ourselves from this situation. We are here until you move God. They were waiting for God. Now, we in this room, 21st century people, mostly Gentiles, read Isaiah 64 from a different vantage point than the ancient Israelites. Now, we, we read it as an empathetic listening ear to their call to God for help and their remembrance of God's faithfulness, the vulnerability in their petitions and the strength of their call to God to come. This is right and appropriate They held to hope shaped by memory, and so do we. And also, in Advent, there is an invitation for us in this room to understand what this lament means in the context of the biblical narrative we hold to as Christians. It is surely one of hope and memory, waiting and anticipation, though it is also a hope with a longer and slightly different arc than that of the text's first recipients. Today's reading is from Isaiah 64. Consider where this is in the larger story of Scripture. God creates the good, beautiful world in the beginning. Humanity, God's image bearers, is given charge over creation and an invitation to attend and create in God's good world. And then over and over again, humanity turns inward and against God, against each other and against creation, darkness looms o'erhead, and rather than abandoning us and the rest of creation in god's love god sets a trajectory of rescue he comes to a servant abram names him abraham promises descendants as numerous as the stars and establishes a covenant and we see god's original hope for humanity and for god's creation work out through the israelites and their story and Shocking, I know, but vanity, bloodlust, and all other manner of corruption and destruction takes root within and outside of the Israelite community, though embedded along the way are bits of faithfulness, even from shady characters. And over and over and over again, we see god attend to god's people and faithfulness to creation often in some measure of ruin because of the bullish and short-sighted behavior of humankind down the road some ways after where we are in isaiah today the story will take quite a turn in the person of jesus recorded in the gospels matthew mark luke and john in the new testament There, the story of Israel will continue, and we who are Gentiles listening in from the crowds Jesus addressed will also be transformed. Jesus will proclaim the kingdom of God. Without a physical weapon, the kingdom of God, marked by justice and peace, will crush empire. It will serve as good news for the poor. Proclaim the release of captives, the recovery of sight for the blind, and it will let the oppressed go free. We see this in Jesus' life and in his miracles and ministry. In his torturous death perpetrated by the state, Jesus would continue to proclaim his gospel of peace, healing the ear of his captor cut off by his disciple when the police came to fetch him for what would go down as the most famous corrupt trial in history. My daughter's book explains Jesus' death this way. In death, he went down as far as we had fallen. He took death's keys to free the captives. He overcame death with his life. He took Eve and Adam, our first parents, by the hands and made them his sister and brother. Is anything stronger than death? Yes, Jesus. In his resurrection, Christ stands as mediator, pulling us, always pulling us from death's dark depths into life and all that it contains. Jesus' resurrection testifies to the compelling, urgent, relentless desire on God's part for communion with us, and this hope is our salvation. We, on this first Sunday of Advent, stand with our eyes looking ahead, to Mary's breathless, unmedicated, seemingly unglamorous birth in the city of David, where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ lay in a manger. And we look to that act with hope and comfort, knowing the hope that is rooted in Jesus' story, knowing all that will come of this God-child. And yet, even with more pieces of the puzzle, even with more faithfulness to recount, so much more for our hope to be based on. We sit in our seats today with knowledge of wars. I drove home this week and for a moment, I was certain that my car stopped at a red light, was lined up square in the middle of a gunfight, and I had no place to go. I got out of that okay, but our physical safety and that of our neighbor is not to be taken for granted. At the same time, I talk to leaders and board members and executive directors looking to respond with generosity and kindness to systemic and structural problems. Plagues like generational poverty, lack of access to education, lack of healthcare, things that keep our communities from flourishing. And not only are those needs overwhelming, each of them is connected to real individuals and communities, but the resources to respond to them aren't always in the right places. And when that happens, critical needs go unmet. And then, bringing it home, there are stories like the one I shared earlier, our own lives and the plans we have for them. What happened when they come crashing down? Unresolving conflict in our homes, financial challenges, addictions. The last time I preached was almost exactly one year ago. My father-in-law struggled something fierce to get into the building that day. It was cold and icy. He left as soon as the sermon was over to go to the hospital. And he died on Christmas Eve. Lord, what of our grief? In these losses and pains and vulnerabilities, I want to offer hope this morning. Sturdy hope with foundations having nothing to do with our present circumstances and in every way based on who we know God to be and like the post-exilic Judean community of Isaiah 64, memory of what has already been accomplished. God loves God's creation, including you. Jesus has come and he is coming back. In Advent, we hold to these truths, even as we squirm and ache in our loss and fear and discomfort and anger at all that is not right in us and in the world, even while we wait and anticipate. Strengthen our memories, Lord. Lord. Meet us as you did before, and from all our iniquities, deliver us. Amen. Friends, we are going to transition into a time of ministry and a time of taking the Lord's Supper. And in that, I want to invite you not to just skip through things. I want you to stay where you are and um, receive what God would have for us today.
1: We now turn towards the Eucharist, which is a Greek word that means Thanksgiving. So I want to give you just a moment to let your heart settle and just take a moment of silence to call to mind something for which you are thankful. And in this turning to the Lord's Supper, we share together in this meal each week, participating in the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. I want to invite Noah and Naomi to go ahead and begin making your way up. We are here because Jesus extends to us an invitation. Strangers and friends, believers and doubters, the certain and the curious. It is always in a mixed company that Jesus gathers and invites to his table, where in bread and cup he meets us, and through him, we who are different are joined together in one body. We invite you to come to this meal not because you understand, but because you are understood. Come not because of how you feel, but because God has food for you. Come not because you feel deserving, but because Jesus invites you and welcomes you just as you are. The scriptures invite us to examine ourselves before coming to this table. We become aware of our faults so that we can receive grace in our time of need, which is always. And we confess so that we can partner with God for our healing And so the way that we do that here is that we sing the song of confession. So I invite you to stand and to sing the confession. Most merciful God hear these words of grace from the scriptures as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us and as we share in this story I invite you to place yourself at Jesus's table imagine Jesus is the host of you this morning the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed he took a loaf of bread and when he had given thanks He broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you and for the many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I invite you to pray with me. Send now your spirit among us. Come with your presence, Lord, in this bread and in this cup, that as we come forward and present ourselves to you as living sacrifices, we may taste and see your goodness, be united in your love, and become one body, your hands and feet in this world. In Christ's name, amen. As you come forward, we also invite you to receive prayer. So if you are trained to pray here in this church, uh, please begin making your way around the edges to offer hospitality to those who need prayer. And as you come forward, you can stay up to receive prayer. Uh, We believe also that sometimes God wants to speak through us. In this community to the community or to one another and so if you feel uh, you know a prophetic word rising up in you please come and and talk to me would love to have you share that with me and then we can discern together whether that is to be shared more broadly Uh, here at Central Vineyard we have an open table which means that uh, everyone is welcome and we would expect that the presence of God could meet you uh, even if you find yourself curious this morning about whether you actually want to follow Jesus. And by the way, if that is you, I actually have a sense that there is one or two of you that you're just wondering, do I want to stay in on this Jesus story? And if that is you, we would invite you uh, to with full abandonment, uh, give your life to Jesus this morning. Uh, You will not regret it. I'd be happy to pray with you this morning. Uh, The bread is gluten-free. We enjoy this meal by coming by coming forward and dipping the bread into the cup and then taking the bread as you return to your seat. Come and eat, friends.